The Bible reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. <clears throat> I will begin. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant of the foolish man. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Continuing. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are foolish. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he <clears throat> made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our thin sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. We've had a new phrase uh, coined in the last couple of weeks in the House of Commons uh, and in our country. It's called WikiLeaks, a reference, of course, to Vic Taves, uh, Minister of Public Safety, who introduced the bill, uh, idea of an online surveillance bill. And as you know, the bill has met with a lot of hostility, and someone from within the research department of a certain party posted a string of more than 90 tweets taking jabs at the minister in his home life. got very nasty, and if you've been following this story, it was nice to see some apologies within the House of Commons about this whole situation, although the civility didn't last all that long, but it was nice. And now it's been robocalls this week. But, you know, we've come to a text uh, this morning that deserves our careful attention because I think it is a word for all of us at one time or another. There are times when uh, this message from Peter is particularly relevant, and then there are other times when it's not on the front burner. It may not be exactly a, a situation that's causing a political stir. But who of us have not had the rug pulled out from under us at one time or another. 
If you've joined us for the first time, we're in a, we're in a series of messages from the letter of 1 Peter. What we know about this letter is that the Apostle Peter is the writer, and the recipients of the letter are people who are living uh, in five distinct regions of uh, Asia Minor. And those uh, regions are found in the first verse of the first chapter of the letter. And they're suffering. They're undergoing persecution. And history tells us that Nero is probably the emperor on the throne in Rome. He is a vindictive, almost insane kind of ruler. And certainly to be a follower of Jesus during his reign was to know that you would probably go through suffering. Our passage is uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. A lot of verses this morning, and some I'm just going to have to speed through, and others then slow down a little bit to process this further. But it's almost impossible to uh, live a lifetime on this earth and not be taken advantage of. There are degrees, of course, of having the rug pulled out, out from under you. I remember signing up for a deal, I think some of you did as well, where you paid in advance a fairly modest amount of money for four hours of uh, house cleaning or window cleaning. And it turned out that the company went out of business, leaving some of us to try to get our money back. And the good deal was it wasn't a huge amount of money, so it wasn't a big deal. It was just a nuisance. And it was just kind of like, oh, they did a nice one there. But it's different when someone slanders your reputation. What a world we live in with social media. Someone can slander your reputation and maybe yes and maybe no, uh, you can correct the situation. It's a little scary. It can go around the world in just no time flat. There are people who have had the rug pulled out for them, from them in the area of finances. They've entrusted their hard-earned life savings only to discover that it's another Ponzi scheme. The newspaper is simply one story after another about being victimized. And if you, in fact, if you look at the Bible, there are plenty of examples there as well of people who were victims of difficult circumstances and having the rug pulled out from under them. David was victimized by King Saul. If you actually do a little study of his life, he had to run probably 12 to 14 years on the run from King Saul, always looking over his shoulder, wondering what the king would do to him if he caught him. And what did David do to deserve this? Uh, he was the young shepherd boy who slew the giant Goliath when no one else would step up to the plate. The Israelite army was facing the Philistine army. David killed the giant. And that caused, caused a tremendous response from the people of Israel. Oh, how they loved David. And remember how the women sang? Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. How do you think that made the king feel? And David was so good to the king, so respectful, Yet he had to run for his life. How about Joseph? Sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers. His brothers detested him. But what had he done? It was his father, Jacob, that 
set the stage for him being victimized by his brothers because the father played favorites. And Joseph was his favorite son. And he didn't mind making that known. And once again, jealousy prevailed and the brothers sold him into slavery and he was ripped off by his own family. And Joseph had a chance to get even, as you know, even in the closing chapters of the book of Genesis. He, he could have been vindictive, but he chose not to. How do you respond when someone really pulls the carpet out? There seems to be some patterns. Number one is aggression. Sometimes we get aggressive. We get mad. But as someone says, I don't get mad, I get even. And life is played out trying to get even. We're intoxicated by our anger, so much so that we become bitter, and we want to take things into our own hands. Have you heard about the man who went to the doctor and he was diagnosed with rabies? And the doctor confirmed it. He said, yes, you do have rabies. And so the man pulled out his pen and a piece of paper and he began to write. And the doctor thought he was writing his will. And so in an effort to console him, he said, but wait a minute, that doesn't mean you're going to die. We can treat this. Oh, the man said, I know that. I'm just making a list of the people that I'm going to bite. <laughs> That's what happens when you get ripped off. You, you, you start to figure out who you can get back at, the people who have, have wronged you. And that's what wars are all about. And that's what family feuds are all about that go on for years and years and years. Then there's the passive response uh, where we choose to feel sorry for ourselves and we deny that this is really happening or we just start to withdraw from life. We, we hear it again and again. I'm not going to put myself out there again only to have that branch sawed out from under me. It hurts too much. There were some soldiers in the Korean War who hired a houseboy to do some work around their military camp. And they just treated him awful. They were always playing bad jokes on him, greasing the knobs on the stove, putting buckets of water above the door so when he opened the door the water fell on him, nailing his shoes to the floor. They were miserable to him. Finally at Christmas time they had a change of heart. And one of the guys said to this young man, we are sorry. We have been so unfair to you. We haven't treated you right. And we are sorry. We're never going to do this again. And the young man looked at him and said, no more sticky on the stove. No more sticky on the stove. And no more water on the top of the door. No more water on the top of the door. And no more nailing the shoes to the floor. No more nailing the shoes to the floor. He said, okay. No more spit in the soup. <laughs> Can't you just see it? No more spit in the soup. Passive aggressive. And then there's a holding pattern. This is when you say, I'm just going to postpone any action. But I'll remember this. You won't read it on my face. I won't let you know, but there'll come a day. I'll get my innings in. It might be years. We're in a holding pattern waiting for the day, but our heart is getting harder and harder and harder by the year. What's the answer to the rug being pulled out? How should we respond? Well, the answer will not be the most popular answer in the world, especially not in the year 2012, probably not in any generation, 
But there is a biblical answer, and it's the same answer that Jesus underscored, and it's the command. Here's how Peter said we should respond. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. The wisdom that Peter gives to these people who are going through tough times of being betrayed and ripped off is submit. Submit. What did I just say? Submit? I start to even feel a little uneasy about that when I, when I read this in Scripture. Here are these Christian men and women who are being, being treated unfairly. And Peter has the nerve to say the, to them as they're suffering, Submit. But it's the same message that Jesus shared with his disciples. Remember he put it in, in, in the context that we should render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and we should render to God the things that are God. Which is the principle to submit to the government in those areas where we should. And Paul, the apostle, was on the same page as well when he wrote in 1 Timothy 2, I urge you then, first of all, that requests and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. Submit is not a very popular word today. Maybe it never has been. But it means to arrange oneself under the authority of another. To arrange oneself under the authority of another. To subordinate myself to someone else. And Peter says to his dear friends in exile, the brothers and sisters that he loves, submit. Submit to the king. Submit to the governors. Submit to the government. Submit to whoever is in authority. What a challenge. Oh, our world today, isn't it something, the revolutions that are taking place in our world today? And I'm certainly not trying to give a prescription for Syria, where so many people are being killed these days. You hope other governments will step up, and you hope that there might be some diplomatic ways of handling this that would be the best answer. And yet, as you look at the Scripture, nowhere in Scripture is anarchy promoted. Paul or Peter or Jesus never said to the people in their day, this government is corrupt, so you have permission to overthrow it. Peter never said, we should rise up and overthrow Rome. I mean, everyone thought that the mission of Jesus was to break the bondage of Rome. But it actually turned out that his mission was to break the bondage of sin. And then that would break the bondage of everything else. It's true that there are times when we can't obey every rule, every regulation of the government, if it's in opposition to what God says. It's not the overthrow of a government, however, in that case, but it's taking the stand as a Christian and disobeying a law that is beneath the law of God. In any context, to submit is a very tough word. It's against our very nature. I don't want to submit. I don't want to surrender my rights. I won't let them get away with this. I will make them pay. That's the natural response. So first, the command of the passage uh, of the scripture is to submit, to respect, to honor the authority under which you live. 
But now Peter gives us the reasons why we should be respectful, why we should submit. And the first one is to silence the accusations. And here's the reasoning in verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. If you take the high road in life, you will stop the nasty stuff that's floating around. The word for silence here actually is the word muzzle. And it's a picture of a yelping, snapping dogs on the loose that need to be muzzled. They're dangerous. They're running around and they're biting people. And Peter says, you should put a muzzle on those yelping dogs. And you do when you are submissive and you are respectful. You silence your critics. Did you catch those words as well? It's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorance of foolish men. Apparently, there were all kinds of false innuendos floating around in that day about Christians. They might not have been tweeting, but they were talking and they were spreading rumors about Christians. Oh, they're a weird bunch. They're probably going to cause a revolution. They're against everything, you know. They, they really think that they're better than everybody else. Sound a little familiar? Well, Peter says, you can stop that stuff right in its tracks by being respectful and submitting, and they will have nothing more to say. At the TCC these days, we're, uh, we're sure getting to know a lot about permits and codes and things that you can do and you can't do in building. And we're learning things about the financial world that we have never learned before, and it's been plowing new ground. And I'm so grateful for those who are taking the lead and catching all the details in all of this. But it's so important that we do, we cross every T properly, we dot every I properly, because it says something about us. And that one day they won't be able to come back and say, well, this church was a maverick group. They just circumvented all the rules and they didn't obey. And they... But it's important that we follow the codes and the permits to the letter. And there's an important principle in all of this, and it's found in verses 16 and 17, where Peter calls us to live as free men and women. But he says, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as servants of God. You see, when we come to Christ, we're liberated. We're set free. But the caution is, don't use your freedom to please yourself and to ignore the authority that's all around you because there is an authority structure that's put in place. And as followers of Christ, we shouldn't use who we are in Christ to bypass the authority structures. I came across an article and I thought, you know, I've just got to share this with TCC. I came across it this week and it surprised me so much of what happened in China in the 1990s. According to... Uh, Open Door Ministries, the Chinese officials, government officials, became so fed up with sky-high rates of crime and drug addiction and sickness in the county of Lankan Lahu, L-A-H-U, Yunnan province, that in the mid-1990s they turned for help to the only model citizens in the area, the Christians. 
The government said, we noticed that in some villages in the county, the Lahu people were prosperous and peace-loving. There was no drug problem or any other stealing or social order problems. Households had a plentiful supply of pigs and oxen and, 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 oxen and chickens. So they said, we commissioned a study to be done to find out why the village was different. To our astonishment and embarrassment, we discovered the key factor was that these villages had a majority of Christians. Wow. So officials launched a daring experiment in 1998. That's not that long ago. The likes of which would have been unthinkable in China 10 years previous. They sponsored Christians to go into the troublesome villages and share their faith. And they started by picking out the worst village, which had 240 people, 107 of which were hopelessly addicted to opium. And the Christian people were bussed into the village at government expense. And the villagers were herded together by the police and made to listen to the testimonies of the Christians. And a year later, there were 17 converts in the village. And they began to grow rich because they stopped spending money on drugs. And eight of the 17 converts had enough money to start their own small business, bought some sewing machines, and kind of got a small business going. By early 2002, that's only 10 years ago, 83 of the villagers were Christians, and the prosperity had spread. And the government officials said, we are delighted with the results and have been extending the tactic to many other villages since then. Did you know that was happening? Who would have ever thought that something like that would take place? But it proves the point that the Christians in China didn't use their freedom to bypass the laws of their province or their county. They submitted. They were good citizens. And amazing things happened as a result. Villages were transformed. Live as free men and women, but do not use your freedom as a cover for evil. Live as servants of God. And what a transforming you will make in society. What a transforming difference. What a transforming difference you'll make on your block. It's amazing what can be done as you, as you walk among the people in your neighborhood and do the little things that you think nobody notices. Just some, picking something up off the lawn. Just, just, just the, even the smallest of things. And you'll be amazed at the ripple that goes through. Listen to the words of Peter as he reinforces his exhortation in verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God and honor the king. I mean, the verse is a challenge for us. But if we just grab a hold of that in our hearts, it's a guiding light for how to respond in our world. Show proper respect to everyone. Isn't that a great principle of life? Proper respect to everyone. Sometimes that's not easy. But if you can respect those who are not even on the same page as you, different theologically, different culturally, different in lifestyle, but if you can respect them and come alongside, it goes a long ways. We may not agree, but we can respect. 
And then love your Christian brothers and sisters. I mean, that's a little easier. <laughs> but there are times when it's hard to. Churches go through painful times because the enemy gets in there and he brings division. Even a Christian brother or sister can challenge your patience. Love them. Fear God. God must always have our reverence and, 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 and uh, we must treat his will as priority. And then we're to honor the king. That can be tough. The king might hate us. The king might be out to make things tough for us. But we're to have respect even as David had a great sense of respect for the king who was out to get him. The second reason to be submissive is that our suffering pleases God. And the context moves us to slavery. And, uh, and, and this is quite a discussion. And Peter speaks to the slaves that were followers of Christ. And it's such a much bigger topic than I have time for today. But, I, but there are some principles found here that deal with mistreatment and suffering. What we do know about mistreatment uh, and suffering is that, that all of us do suffer. We all feel done in at times. Can we compare it with living in Nigeria? We've got missionaries in Nigeria. Uh, that's a different story there. Can we compare it with Christians living in Egypt? Um, there are parts of the world where Christians are being persecuted today. Very challenging to be a Christian. The New Living Translation says in verse 19, For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. The end of verse 20, But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Pretty radical stuff. I mean, our world bombards us with messages that urge us to not be walked over. Don't let people, you're not their floor mat, then they're going to walk all over you. Stand up for yourself, fight back, push somebody else into a corner. I mean, we can find a lawyer's number quicker than we can find a passage of Scripture. We just will say, we're going to get into this. But when did you last take it on the chin for following in the, in the path that Christ wanted you to go? And I will add the qualifier to be careful with the word submission. It doesn't mean abuse. It doesn't mean physical abuse. It doesn't mean emotional abuse. Christians are to submit to one another. Husbands and wives are to submit to one another. But not a license for mistreatment. Not a license for mistreatment. How comforting to know that Christians have been suffering through the years and as they've suffered it has pleased the heart of God the third reason to be submissive is that our suffering fulfills our calling and allows us to be like Jesus can I take you to verse 21 to this you were called because Christ suffered for you to this you were called this is what you signed up for when you said yes to Jesus Christ I mean I don't really care to think a whole lot about suffering as a way of life. I, but can I walk away when things get tough? Do I just say, Lord, this is just too much. I'm not going to take it on the chin anymore. No suffering is part of life. Suffering is part of life. An unavoidable part of life. Everyone suffers, and not just Christians 
Because remember the verse, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The big difference is how you respond. If you endure the inevitable suffering that comes your way, you will fulfill your calling as a follower of Jesus Christ. And we're not just called to suffer, but how do we suffer? See the rest of verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now in just a moment, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. And the bread and the cup are tangible reminders of what Christ has done for us. The example that he set for us. You know, in the darkest moments of our lives, when we're really up against it, we want to retaliate. We want to even the score. And what countercultural verses to ponder this morning for us? He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Wow. He trusted his father. He gave it over to his father. And he knew that God would take care of his situation. Friends, can you imagine what would have happened if he would have retaliated? The implications of that for us? Friends, listen, it was because he didn't retaliate that Jesus went on to accomplish so much for you and so much for me. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Healing came because Jesus was willing to suffer for us. I... Healing came because he was willing to suffer for us. Might I ask you this in your situation, whatever your context is, do you believe that healing would come if you were willing to suffer? If you were willing to restrain yourself? If you were willing to not retaliate? When you suffer, when you're criticized, when you're ridiculed, when you're mocked and laughed at, you just do what Jesus did. Keep your mouth closed. You trust it to God, will take care of you. You see, as hard as it is, as hard as that is to hear this morning, and I know, I have all the same objections in my mind that are, are bumping up against my heart and my mind, saying, yeah, but what about, what about? You see, as hard as it is, that's the way of Christ. And it is the way of healing. It's the way of healing. Verse 21 the last few words, in his steps, what a, great, what a great little phrase. It was those three words that prompted uh, Charles Sheldon to write that famous book called In His Steps. Written the first time, published in 1897. Do you know how many copies that sold? It's the ninth strongest selling book in the history of the world. 30 million copies. And the title is, In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? And he looks at life and he says, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would Jesus do here? Well, what would Jesus do in this, in this context? What would Jesus do? 
We're going to take some bread this morning and eat it. We're going to take some juice this morning and drink it. And sometimes it just helps to be tangible. And and that's the blessing of of the Lord's table. Just helps to be tangible, to touch the bread and to take the little cup and to drink from it. And maybe you can appreciate these elements a little bit more if you think about following in his steps as you eat the bread and you drink of the cup. Because this is the hope that belongs to you as a follower of Jesus Christ. The bread and the cup represent what happened in the past, that Jesus stretched out his arms and his feet, and he allowed his body to be broken for us. He allowed the the nails to pierce his hands. He allowed the blood to flow as part of the redemptive plan for our lives. And so the meal looks back to what he did, and his was the ultimate submission to the Father. Oh, I think again, Lord, what if you hadn't submitted? What if you hadn't done that for us? And so as we prepare our hearts, what a perfect time to resubmit our lives to Jesus Christ. Would you do that this morning? And as you do, just simply give thanks in your heart for Jesus and for his work upon the cross. All are welcome at this table this morning. You're welcome. You're welcome. And if you're here this morning and you're processing you're processing what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and it would feel a little uncomfortable to take the bread and to drink of the cup we want you to feel comfortable to allow it to pass and continue to search and uh, see what God is saying in your life but if you know him and you love him and you say he's my savior he's my lord he's my leader please respond to him today